and uh, pray for Michael. Ask God to touch him. Also, I'd like to invite you or, your, or thank you in advance for your prayers. Tanner has a, uh, a service this week, a funeral-type service uh, on Tuesday. I have one also uh, this week on Tuesday. Uh, Barbara and I will be going to uh, Pine Bluff, Arkansas. The pastors of the church in Houston, when Barbara was in Bible college, uh, they assigned the students to attend a church. And they assigned Barbara and several students to what we call West End Church. And uh, her pastors, Brother and Sister Grundy, and he's preached in our church before, Brother Ronald Grundy, uh, their pastors were there for so long. They have they they're they've been married seventy years. Seventy years they've been married, and she went home to be with the Lord just a couple of days ago. And uh, they have all of their Arkansas dignitaries, all of their bishops, all of their leaders, all of their presbyters, all of their board members in that state and our fellowship are all there. And they've asked me to come in and do a uh, half of that service in honor of Sister Grundy. And uh, she went home to be with the Lord at, uh, uh, at an elderly age, having been married uh, for 70 years. And uh, Barbara and I uh, are heartbroken over our loss. But uh, earlier in the fall uh, this year, this past year now, obviously, Barbara and I took a tour that went, what, two and a half or nearly three weeks off up through the Midwest. And I told you guys a lot about it from time to time. We were in Missouri, crossed Illinois into Indiana, Michigan, preached in several places. Uh, on the tour, we uh, had several bookings there. And uh, when we were on our way, Barbara said, let's go see the Grundys. And so we stopped in Pine Bluff, got a motel, and uh, spent the night, went to the Grundy's house, and set out for, what, two and a half or three hours, and just talked about the things of God. I held revivals for them when I was 19 years old in Kansas, and in Kansas City, and preached for them. I preached their state camp meetings when I was way too young to be preaching camps, camp meetings. And uh, we've had that relationship all these years, always in contact. And uh, one time I was uh, preaching somewhere, and I had to fly home, and the Grundys were still pastoring. And I think perhaps we may even lived in, in Joplin at that time or whatever. And their little girl at that time, wanted to come and be with uh, Barbara and I, and her mom and dad bought her a ticket. And, and, and we flew up there, uh, and she was in the seat beside me holding on. And she would look over out the window and then jerk her head back. And uh, I told her, I said, don't worry. It'll be okay. We're going to land. And uh, in essence, she said, well, how do you know? And I said, well, I've got a sermon that the Lord told me to preach tonight when we get there, so we'll get there because I already know what I'm going to be preaching on. Anyway, we have, uh, we've had such a great history with them. So uh, 
uh, Tuesday, Monday, we'll leave uh, tomorrow for uh, viewing and then be in the funeral on Tuesday. So y'all pray for the Grundys, great people, great servants of God, and served as our board directors and general board, and it just goes on and on. They've been a vital part of our life. And uh, so anyway, everybody say amen. God is so good, isn't he? Don't you just love him? Amen. Just love the daylights out of God. He's our Savior and our peace and our hope. I'm going to ask you today to turn with me into the book of Hebrews. And I say this a little bit jokingly, but at the time I say it, I, I'm really pretty serious about it, okay? Uh, Paul writing in Hebrews, and somebody said, well, Paul didn't write Hebrews. Well, when I'm preaching, he did. Okay, he said, all right, well, everybody say amen. And uh, I think I have enough evidence that uh, <laughs> enough evidence that Paul did write it, uh, though his name is not mentioned. Uh, but many scholars believe he did, and some say no. And I'm going to go with the guys that did. How's that? That okay with everybody? But in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, and I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, and I'll be reading from the NIV. I think, uh, I don't have it written here, so uh, did Jeanette, did I tell you NIV, I think? Okay. Uh, we'll find out uh, if if this is NIV as soon as I start reading. And I have like seven or eight different translations. So uh, I'll begin reading now in this verse, uh, number 1, Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us therefore throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Is that what it says up there in those words? Good, NIV. Verse number 2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I'm going to talk today about getting into the race. Getting into the race. Before I, uh, before I commence here, I'd like for you to give the praise team a good hand. They, they really did a good job today. And uh, I know that all of them are developing and growing more and more. Not long ago, a gentleman said to his friend, he said, my life is nothing more than a rat race. How many of you have ever felt like that from time to time? Just It's kind of like a rat race. His friend told him, you're exactly right, but rat race or not, it's still a race. Might as well get ready for it and run it, whether we like it or not. Uh, you still have to run the race, whether it's a good race, a tough race, an easy one. You still have to do it. There are three questions that come to my mind today uh, dealing with this subject and topic. And Number one, what is this race all about? What is it really all about? Number two, I want to ask the brief question, where are you going in your race? Where are you going? You're on the track. 
you're headed somewhere, uh, what is your destination? And then number three, what about your endurance? How long are you going to hang in there and run the race? Notice all three of these things really, really matter. As I uh, speak to your heart today, I want you to know that I have a question, uh, probably precipitated by a recent event in a football game last week. But what happens if your heart stops beating in the middle of your game or your race? I'm sure that all of you have seen the news by now about uh, what a 24-year-old football player made a tackle on the football field. Nothing unusual about the the tackle. It was not a hard hit. Uh, very probably mediocre compared to the standard of 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 the NFL, the National Football League. Uh, and I'm not here today to preach about football. Okay, I could if you want me to. Uh, I'm probably I'm probably uh, uh, just uh, a self-made, uh, uh, appointed, self-appointed football fan. But but uh, this young ball player made a tackle, stood up, as I happened to be watching the game, uh, stood straight up, looked around, took two tiny steps backwards and fell and hit the ground, quote, dead. And uh, they had enough uh, medical people standing by that they got to him in time, and they pounded the chest and uh, oxygen and all the things that go along with the medical profession and the medical society. And they brought him back to life, got him into an ambulance, and took him to a hospital. And today he is remarkably improved, having received what we would call a second chance. Does everybody, somebody's picked up where I'm going, haven't you? Amen. Uh, but, but we all know that in some point in our race, our heart's going to stop beating. Somewhere in the race. You may be 90, or you may be earlier in life. You may be expecting it along the way, or you may not be. But that's the way it goes. But it's still a race, and we have to run it to the end. Uh, we, should, uh, we should think today a little bit about what's going to happen when our individual races are over, when they're finished. Let's let's not talk about uh, the moment that we pass to be with the presence of God. Let's talk about the eternity past that moment. You need to be thinking about heaven and make up your mind to go there because you have a choice. It's a choice. Somebody told me one day, I don't believe God sends people to hell if He's a loving God. Excuse my English, and I know better than talk like this, but God ain't ever sent nobody to hell. They always go there by their own choice. They go there because they decide to go there. Nobody's ever come alive in heaven and scratched their head and said, Wow, how did I get here? This is great. You don't show up in heaven by accident. If you go to heaven, you go on purpose. You make up your mind to walk it and to live it and to endure and not let obstacles throw you off course. Now, the, uh, the good news is that when we have our second chances in life, after we fail, the good news is uh, when we fail, we're still alive. <laughs> Aren't you glad that every, 
that you didn't commit a sin or do something so wrong one time that God, as somebody would say, decided to wipe you out, to erase you off of the map. The Bible has a strong doctrine in it, and it's called the doctrine of salvation. That's a doctrine of the Bible. It is clear. It is distinct. It is very well laid out in the Bible. And if you'll uh, allow me to be so brassy and bold today to tell you that nobody in the world makes it to heaven until they come through the blood of Jesus Christ. And uh, the deal is that we call it the doctrine of salvation because salvation is for us God's second chance. It's, it's, it's our second chance with God because we failed. How many of y'all had to have the third chance? How many of you had to have the tenth chance? How many of you are still having the ch- chances? And when you think about it like it really is, it's an amazing thing that, that uh, all of us have stumbled in the race. We call it stumble, don't we? We call it stumble. Uh, it's so crazy, uh, but God never called it that. He always called it sin. <laughs> Grin and look at your neighbor and say, that's for you, Bubba. No, don't do that, okay? But on this track, this race track of life, Everybody missteps at one time or another in the race. Uh, We call our mess-ups challenges. We call them issues. We call them blunders. We call them failures. We call them bad decisions, etc. But God is so politically incorrect, it is scary. God is politically incorrect. He just calls it what it is. And what it is, is that when we mistake and misstep and have issues and blunder and fail and make bad decisions, it's called sin. But God has given us second, third, fourth, and fifth chances along the journey. I don't know how many He gives us, but one time in the Bible it said that a righteous man can even fail Seven times 70 times. Is that getting more like us? Could I see your hand? It really is kind of astonishing, isn't it? Simply stated today, you cannot get on the wrong track and run the wrong way on life and stay there and make heaven your home. You see, the world is filled with people who have chosen the wrong way. Uh, How would you know that, Brother Johnson? How can you decide who chose the right and wrong? It's not your call. You're just a preacher. Well, I'm glad you know that, and I understand that you know that, and I didn't make the call. There's this guy that died on the cross for you. His name is Jesus. He made that call. And he said that there's a broad way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. And then he said in the same verse, Matthew 7, if you want to look it up, verse 13 and 14. Then he said, there's a straight and narrow way, and few will be there that find that narrow and straight way. As you know, I'm always digging into Hebrew and Greek. How many of you all have noticed that a thousand times over? I'm always trying to make sure that I'm getting it right. And I dug into the old... uh, the old word in, in the text and the Greek about uh, straight is the gate and narrow is the way. 
And that word straight, S-T-R-A-I-T in King James Version, is uh, pronounced in Greek stenos, S-T-N-O-S, stenos. A long O on the end of it, by the way, in case you want to look it up. Uh, and And it means a way that is free from obstacles that are standing about where you are. Now, after you get that figured out, and it took me a while to do it, it dawned on me that that straight and narrow gate is going to have some obstacles around it. There are going to be some things go on in people's lives that will be pop-ups on the journey. There will be things happening. There will be things that we do. We will see things and have a tendency to lean toward them the wrong direction. But he tells us that these obstacles that are there are standing about, and they're always going to be available. That does not mean you have to go do the sin. It just means they're out there, and they will reveal themselves to you on the journey. I'm preaching a whole lot better than you're saying amen. So having moved to that part here, the Bible has some remarkably good news for us. And that is in our text in Hebrews 12 and 1 said, Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and let me tell you what I think that really means. I've done some research on it. Uh, If you're living for the Lord today, would you look at my hands here and you're walking the old S&N? You know, you remember there's a Burlington Northern and there's there's a SP, Southern Pacific, these railroad lines. Well, there's another railroad line out there called the old S&N. It means straight and narrow. And if you're on the old S&N line, which is a child of God, on your way to heaven on the straight and narrow, you will see that there are people around you that are going to be pulling for you, witnessing for you, and encouraging you to make the journey. How many of you have ever had a Christian look at you and say, it'll be all right, God's on your side? Anybody ever told you that? Have you ever had anybody look at you in the face and say, Man, it's not going to be easy, but you hang in there. God's on your side. God loves you. He cares. And He's going to meet your need, and He's going to bring you through. How many of you all understand that very fully, that you need some kind of witness hanging out about you that's going to help you on the journey? That's why we call it a church. That's why we call it a church. Uh, I, I want to point out, uh, when you, you remember when we sang courses off of the screen up here? And at the bottom, we don't ever sing those tiny words at the bottom. Have you all noticed we always sing them big letters, but not them little bitty words at the bottom? Well, if you get close enough and you have good enough vision uh, and, and you get real close and you squint your eyes and look, those songs were written, nearly 100% of them, by somebody who had some help. One of those songs we sang today had five different authors. Somebody said, well, how do you know that? Because I counted them. Okay, I know I went to public school, but I can still get up to five, all right? Uh, and uh, sorry, all you good school teachers, I love Daylight Saturday. Uh, but but uh, sometimes it takes four and three. And sometimes one person writes a song. Sometimes a songwriting guild will get together and there'll be a whole bunch of people writing. When the royalties start coming in, they'll share the money. Now, let's understand this, that we have been surrounded by people who can help us. 
We have been surrounded by a group of witnesses, a cloud, the King James says, and said, let us throw off every obstacle that hinders and ever sin that entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. In other words, the writer of Hebrews is saying that there will be trial, there will be difficulty, there will be temptation, there will be tests, there will be anxieties, there will be failures along the way. But listen, he says, we've got somebody pulling for us, and it's the body of Christ. It is the angels of the Lord. It is God's Word, and He is helping us reach and make our way through all the way to victory in Jesus Christ. Sooner or later, Christians... Buckle up. We're going to hit turbulent air right now. Sooner or later, Christians need to get out of the sinning business and move into the righteousness of the Lord and His power and His peace and His joy. It's pretty remarkable about laying aside things that beset us. The Bible calls that repentance, saying, I'm sorry, I changed my mind. Actually, the word repentance means change of mind. How many of you ever read in the Bible where it said God repented that He created man? God probably said, I might change my mind. (laughs) You know, when when you see that as it really is, it's a thought that says uh, we can call it getting back to God and getting back on course in our life in order to please the Lord who created and made us. God is our life. We don't have a life outside of Him. We really don't. New Year's resolutions were made just a few days ago for a lot of people. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but how many of you have ever made a New Year's resolution and you kept it for a while and you didn't follow all the way through? Could I see your hand? You didn't make it all the way? I hear that all the time. Lose weight. Stop smoking. Go to church more. Do this, do that. And always doing it. Always making those resolutions. I want you to know, resolutions, and I'm going to simplify this so so slow. I mean, it's just going to be first grade level because that's kind of where I stay anyway. But, But you don't need to make a New Year's resolution that you're going to sweep out your garage more often. You don't need to make a New Year's resolution that you're going to spend... Uh, more time uh, trimming the, the flower bed. Those are just things that we do. We need to make resolutions to God as we live for the Lord and make sure that there are things that will keep us on course in our life. Our lives can get out of whack. And they can get out of whack just like that. And it isn't but a minute or two we said, Lord, what went wrong? What was that? So let's talk for a second about those obstacles. Get rid of everything that might hinder your run in Jesus Christ. I want to point out something I think is extremely important. And that is, it is easy to come up with excuses not to run the race for the Lord. It's easy to come up with those excuses. Man, that is as simple as it can be. Hindrances are everywhere. Would you agree? Hindrances are everywhere. Have that little remote control in your house. And you just pick it up, and then all of a sudden, on a certain channel, there's something that will hinder you. And all of a sudden, 
if you're driving down the highway, there's some scantily cloud uh, uh, the, the picture up there of somebody who is doing the wrong thing in life, trying to entice you. And when you glance up to read the, the, the billboard, all of a sudden, bang, there's that obstacle in your way. Or when you hear somebody say something and you chime in on the devil's course instead of God's course. And when we keep going and going and going, you know what can happen to us? We can have obstacles that hinder us. In Hebrews 2 and 12, our text uh, says, Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. He scorned its shame because it was a shame to die on a cross. It was a shame. And he looked at the shame of the cross and said, I scorn you. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to die for the sins of the world. I'm going to die for everybody who ever lived. And my blood will cover their sin. And he scorned the shame of the cross. And after that, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high where he ever lives to make intercession. And Jesus Christ, according to the Bible, is praying for you today, right now. He's praying for you because he's making intercession for us. Give God praise, shall we? Amen? Now, Jesus is the center of our salvation. He is the center of our peace. He is the center of our hope. He's the center of our life, and listen to this, more importantly, He is the center of our destiny. Where are we going to go at the end? It's all about what's going to happen at the end of the race. Some people's races end at 90 or 100 or 101. Some of them end so many decades earlier. There's an illustration of an Assembly of God preacher whose name I'll not use, but a great servant of God and a great man of God. And he had a, had a daughter, a beautiful girl, and she watched her father prepare because he was an avid, enthusiastic marathon runner. He's the exact opposite of what I am. I'm not even a marathon walker. I'm a four-wheeler rider. When I want to go see a cow in the pasture, I get on a Honda Rencon, and I drive. And I look, and I drive back. I don't I, quit looking so innocent. Aren't we all like that a little bit? I see these young people, and I say, I'm going to get up and get a soft drink. And uh, one of my distinguished and... Uh, well, uh, of the two, one of them is distinguished. Now, I'm only kidding, guys. I love both of y'all a lot. They'll just jump up, jump up and run over and, and hop over to the refrigerator and bring me a Dr. Pepper Zero and hand it to me and say, Here, Papa, I got it for you. You know why they do that, don't you? Because I pour money into them. Now, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Come on, grin real big. <laughs> grin real big. Sam's getting just as bad. <laughs> I'm kidding, Sam. <laughs> and so, so I'm the opposite of a marathon runner. Is anybody else like me? Herschel Walker, that guy that ran for a political office in Georgia, I heard him say on TV one time that he was 19 years old before he realized his name was not Git Wood. <laughs> because that's all his daddy ever said to him, Git Wood, you know, Put some wood in the fireplace. Do it. So, so you ultimately get to a place in life 
where we don't want to run the race. Now, I'm going to get a little bit dicey right here, and I don't want to be mean to you, uh, but, but since some of us are not enthusiastic marathon runners, this young girl asked her dad, how do you decide, carefully now, got to get it, how do you decide how far you're going to run every day? Do you run until you just get tired and then stop? Got pretty sharp right then, didn't it? Did you feel that little hypo needle hit you in the skin? Dad explained to her, if I focus on how I'm feeling on any given point in the run, I'll be tempted to give up the race. So I do not do this based on how I feel. I do not do this on any given day to wake up in the morning and say, Ah, I feel like living for Jesus today. This will be a good day to serve God. And then the next day, wake up and say, You know, I'm kind of weary of living for the Lord. I think I'll do the other thing today. So the father said to his precious daughter, I don't focus on how I'm feeling. I get really tempted to give up what I do. So instead, I start my run by deciding ahead of time and how far I'm going. And that's the way you become a winner. That's where you become a winner. That's where you make up your mind that I'm going to figure out the picture of the route in my mind that I'm going to run. I'm going to figure out my destination. I'm not going to talk about the distance. And I'm not going to worry about the obstacles. I'm not going to worry about people somewhere looking at me and saying, Well, I wonder what he thinks he's doing. I'm going to think about the destination, and I'm going to run until I reach it. Because if I start thinking about the obstacles and the things that are wrong and how tired I am and how weary I've grown in the, in the, in the run, I am not picturing the victory in my mind. And I have to look again at the distance, not at the distance, but at the destination. And where I'm going, and when I get there, then I will be happy and I'll be satisfied. Ladies and gentlemen, you know what we're doing in our modern Christian church? We're looking at the distance and the obstacles, and we're getting weary along the journey. Let's realize that the destiny of the trail is a thing we're looking for. Amen. I'm going to run it to the end. I'm going to live it out all the way. Somebody shout hallelujah. A few years ago. I went to the doctor, and he did a bunch of tests on me. And I said, well, how am I? And he said, well, you got good health, young man. Now, this one, I was a very young guy. He said, but if you don't lose weight, you're going to die. And he just told me I was in good health. And then he told me to lose weight or I'd die. And I didn't make him real happy when I grinned real big. And I said, well, if I died now, I'd die in good health. And he did not laugh a bit. He just stared at me like, I'm your doctor. And I thought, well, bless God, I'm your preacher. Okay? And then I looked at him and I said to him, I said, if I die now, I die in good health. And, and, and so he, he talked to me about it. And he said, you're too heavy. And I thought, 
You're too bald. Y'all are loving me. I could, I, I got facial expressions going on in this house. Boy, I wish I had a camera up here going that way. So that one back there coming up here. That you, you would love yourself. You would love yourself how you're responding. Do you understand that? That I, I decided I would start running, and I did. My wife will verify this. I had this hobby of running, and we were traveling all over the United States. And and, and I would. Uh, uh, we got into Amarillo. And we got it. We hooked up at Tommy Messer, Tommy Carroll Messer. Where's Wizenet? There you are, Wizenet. You, you, Tommy. You know Tommy and all the Messer brothers up in uh, up there. And and so so I uh, I was in Amarillo and I decided, well, I run this morning, so I put on my my tennis shoes, and I took off running. And I went to a neighborhood I'd never been in because I don't live in Amarillo. And I got down there, and I was a huffing and a puffing and a running and thinking about, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to live longer. I'm going to have strength. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I looked over, and there was a Doberman pincher at the end of his chain in midair trying to get to me. And I said, oops, what if he breaks the chain? A little bit later, when I made the curve down at the street, I looked up, and there was a, a chihuahua. And he was not on a chain, and he was after my heels. He was, he got that little stinky voice. Man, I wanted to just, just him. Come on, you can grin a little bit. I mean, I wasn't going to kill him. I was just going to make him a believer. Amen. And, uh, and so, so he would snap and bark, and then other dogs would run down the curb. Uh, beside me and barked till I got out of their neighborhood. And that went on and on and on and on. And finally I decided I need to run in neighborhoods I know. And then after that, I got to looking at other things, and then I finally quit running. I wasn't looking at the destiny. I was looking at the obstacles and the distance. And the church world today... When we see an obstacle, we just say, oh, back out. Oh, political correct. Don't do that. Don't say that. Oh, no, no. I, I'm, I'm okay. You know, and now you can't call a boy a boy or a girl a girl. Now you have to say, well, what a beautiful person you are. You're a human being. Wow. Look at you. You're a human. I despise that. Amen. I despise that. If you're some happy little old boy running around, I say, how you doing there, young man? And if you're one of the pretty little girls all dressed up and, and you're that kind of thing, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to call you a pretty young girl. I, I'm, I'm weary of everybody in the world trying to just give in to the world and crater to everything they say. I think, I, I, didn't it come out two weeks ago from Stanford University? Anybody hear this? Let me see your hand. Stanford? Y'all heard what Stanford University did? They passed a big, long line of words that you cannot use on the campus. They can kick you out of college after you pay your 90000 100000 cash to go there. And after you get your student loan for $150,000 or $60,000 to go all, all four years, whatever, and get your degree, they can kick you out. It, it, now, if you look at somebody and say, I'm proud to be an American, because that's, that's not fair. Because there's, this is not the only America. There's a North America. 
and there's a South America and a Central America, and you're being you're being bad to other Americans, and and, and it just goes on and on and on, and they got this big long list. Folks, listen to me carefully. I'm not going to crater to every obstacle that's out there. I'm going to love people, live for God. I'm going to serve Jesus. I'm not going to hurt anybody. I'm going to make the rapture of the church, body of Jesus. Would you please help me right now? I'm going to do what God wants us to do and serve the Lord with a whole heart. The obstacles, Paul said, lay aside the obstacles and, and quit looking at the distance the race is, and just get in there and run. Now, Jesus is our example. You know why? Because He's our finish line. Because He's the author and finisher of our faith. Woo! Don't you love the Word? He started it. He ends it. Somebody say author and finisher of our faith. He's the one who ran through the wall of shame. He's the one that ran through the pain of the cross. He's the one that endured the shame of the cross, Hebrews 12 and 2, in order that He might wipe away our imperfect record and set us in the line of beauty and the holiness of the Lord and the peace of Christ. He is the one that endured so we would be able to start over when we make our mistakes and failures. He ran the race. He set the example, and now we can run it all the way. Now listen to this finish up. Are you ready? Listen to this climactic point here. I want you to hear this. I want you to hear what this thing's reaching right now, and I'm going to give you some scriptures as we close this thing out so you'll know what's required of a child of God. Everybody say author and finisher. He's the goal. We do not worry about the obstacle. Say that, obstacle. Or the distance. But we do the destiny. That's where we're going. Now here's what Ecclesiastes 9.11 says. Are you ready? The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. Automatically, you know what he said? Everybody is not going to come in racing for the ribbon at the end. And everybody's not going to win the world championship on curling and weightlifting. It's, the race is not to those. It's to those who endure. Come on, body. Those who make it. Those who are here, in and out, night and day, ever and ever, walking in Jesus and doing the things of God. Hebrews 12 and 1 said, run with endurance. The Greek word here emphasizes endurance. It, it emphasizes patience, endurance, never quitting, never giving up, never going back. Paul addressed the subject. I've got about three more of these. Listen, Paul addressed the subject of running many times in his writing and in his excerpts when he wrote to different churches. And by the way, if you will allow me, if you will please allow me, uh, Writers such as Solomon and Jesus and Paul and Peter, all of these people, every one of them, had the same goal to talk about. All of them mentions this. Now, here we go. We got, we got finished with Solomon. Watch the, this next one. And this starts with, with Paul, and he addressed the subject. 
in 1 Corinthians 9.24, he said, There's a prize run that you may obtain it. What are you saying, preacher? I'm not saying anything. Paul said if you don't run to the end, you don't get it. Is is that false doctrine? Some of y'all look at me like, you know, you can just jump off the railroad track anytime you want to and, you know, okay, God, I'll see you at the end. Uh-uh. He said there is a prize and though the people that run it may obtain it. Someday when I'm 92 and I'm drooling an oatmeal at Heritage Oaks and they bring me to church in a wheelchair and set me over there and my voice is raspy and old and I can't do anything except sit there and whoever's preaching, Michael or Tanner or Riley up there singing and beating on drums, I'll be, get them, boys. Go get them, boys. Tear them up. Run to the end. Make it all the way. Come on. Amen? Don't quit. Don't give up. Live for God. Knock it out of the park. Score the touch. Go for it, man. Don't quit. And if you hear what I'm trying to say, the prize is there. And if you want to obtain it, you run it. Come on. You run it. You get it. Somebody say, I get it. And then two verses later, in 1 Corinthians 9, he said to run with certainty. Have a, have a, get it in your head. You're not looking at the, in, at, at the feeling, uh, at how tired you are. You're not looking at the obstacles that are there. You get that out of your brain. You make up your mind. There's a destiny at the end of your journey. There's God. There's heaven. Hallelujah. There's peace. There's joy. There's no cancer. There's no diabetes. No heart attacks. You may keep going. I feel the unction right now. I can keep going if you want me to. Hallelujah. I'm trying to convey to you that there's something that is important for us, and that is that there is a goal to obtain, and if you run, you will obtain it. In Galatians, Paul wrote to the church of Galatia, and he said in chapter 2, verse 2, that some run in vain. Some run in vain. Oh, they get caught up in the whirl of it. The other day, I was going down the road, where we live on our gravel road, a lot of people have those white, uh, they're not Dalmatian, they're Great Pyrenees. Our, our highway is loaded with Great Pyrenees white dogs. They're this big, and they're really, really good dogs because all they do is lay on the, on the asphalt and watch cars nearly run over them. In my point of view, up until now, and something may change me someday, it hasn't yet, because there, there's a. I'm going to say there's scores of them between where I live and town, and I only see them. I only see them standing in the middle of the highway on the yellow line, looking around. This morning I had to stop in the middle of the highway and honk my horn, and two of them look at me like, I "Wonder what's going on with the dude in the white pickup." He's, is he mad about it? And, and, and it, that's all they would do. I finally got close enough, and I hauled my horn, and I rolled my window, and I said, Get off the road, dummy. 
And uh, they finally walked off the side of the road, and they looked at me when I drove off like, and the other day, she said, yeah, what's, what's the deal? And, and those dogs are really famous where I live. Now, they may not be that way in your neighborhood, but in my neighborhood, that's the way they are. And, and people might say, oh, they're going to protect my cows and my sheep and my dogs and my, you know, my, dog, my goats or whatever. They're going to they're protect my animals. I, I've never seen one of them do any of that. All I've seen them do is stand on the highway and lay in, in the ditch right beside it and count cars. And so I just told Barbara the other day, I said, good night, man. We're just going to have to get an obstacle course here and just learn how to dodge great Pyrenees dogs. Uh, if you have one, please don't be offended. Just keep them behind your fence. They'll live longer. So Galatians 2 and 2, some run in vain. they just out there on, on the track, on the yellow line. Oh, my mind's so full. <laughs> my mind is so full. If anybody wants to know what I'm thinking right now, church, ask me. I'll tell you, it's funny. You'll laugh your head off. Galatians 5 and 7 says some run well, but get hindered. Some run well, but they get hindered. Peter chimes in in 1 Peter 4 and 4, and he said some run with the wrong bunch. Oh, you mean I can run around with the wrong people? You want to hear what he said? Okay, I'm just waiting for two amens because that's all it takes to keep me. All right, I'm going to find it here real quick. Uh, Not here. It's not there. I found it. You want to hear what Peter said about it? Like T.D. Jake says, get ready, get ready, get ready. This is from Kenneth Wiest, the expanded New Testament. If you don't know who Kenneth Wiest is, the most expected and renowned Greek translator in probably the past 300 years in, a, in church history. Kenneth Wiest, professor of Greek at Moody Bible Institute, who's recently gone to be with the Lord. In 1 Peter 4 and uh, 4, he says, the original Greek emphasizes, For adequate has been the time that is now past and done with for you to have carried to its ultimate conclusion the counsel of the pagans, parentheses, the unsaved. You know what he's saying? He's saying you run around with too many unsaved people. They can drag you down. Brother Johnson, don't you think we need bridges? Absolutely, but we need sometime, we need some walls. He says, and here's what he said. This is what you're doing. It's what he said. Not you, but us, y'all, you and me. Okay. He says, conducting yourselves as you have done in disgusting sensualities, in cravings, in wine-guzzling, and carousing around, in drinking bouts that you do, and in unlawful idolatry in which they think in a thing alien to you that 
you do not run with a troop or a band of revelers like them who stay in the slough and they speak evil and who, namely the unsaved, in parentheses again, shall give an account to the one who is holding himself in readiness to judge the living and the dead. In other words, the day's coming when you will be sorry that you have run with the wrong race and the wrong crowd. Good preaching, church. Psalms 118, verse 29 says, David said that he could run through a troop and leap over a wall. That's the crowd I'm going to be with. So here it is. The main goal of these writers is the same. Now look at me and I'm going to give them to you. Are you ready? No matter what the terrain, keep running. Number two, no matter what the pain, keep running. Number three, no matter how long the race is, keep running. And number four, no matter the circumstances, God has not left you to run by yourself. You're not alone. Is that rich? You see, to finish the race is the main thing. God made us to live forever, and we're created for eternity, not just life here on earth. So saints, stay in the race, and if you're ever a dropout, get back in and run it to the end. And the body of Jesus shouted, Amen. Well, that was short notice. I got, I got the call last night. I hope that wasn't just scrambled eggs. <laughs> Amen. I hope it wasn't just scrambled eggs for you today, but it, it gives a thought. And uh, my wife will be able to take that rough outline and make a good sermon out of it at the computer and get all the grammar and everything done just right. But I had to, I had to put it in the bag quickly. Everybody say amen. All right. God is so good, isn't he? Would you say hallelujah? Uh, can I see the hand of anybody in the uh, audience today who says, Brother Johnson, I have become weary and on the journey along the way. Have you? Could I see your hand? I, I know that three-fourths of this crowd has been weary on the journey somewhere. 